Well, now we are going into our Psalm Song series. If you haven't been with us, we take a song that you maybe know from the radio. Maybe you're embarrassed that people know that you know this song because you're cruising around uh, in your car on a Saturday or something, but it's one of those type of things, and uh, we connect it with a psalm, and that's what we're going to do right now. And so I want to encourage you to uh, sit back, get excited, and begin to wonder what God is going to do with this song and in the message that is about to unfold in front of your eyes. She's just a girl and she's on fire Hotter than a fantasy Lonely like a highway She's living in a world and it's on fire Filled with catastrophe But she knows she can fly away Oh, she got both feet on the ground And she's burning it down
I cried all the way through that in the when we did the run through and she sang it and I was like she is on fire she is our worship director and she's on fire and she's killing it and I'm just I just love MJ so much hello welcome to the vineyard um, I should probably say I'm Jesse and welcome wherever you are joining us from we are thrilled because we know God is moving through the internet, he's moving in person. He is not limited. So wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, God has a message of hope. He has hope for us today. We are living in a world and it is on fire, but we get to be a people on fire for God. That is our calling. Now, it's been a while since I've been up here. I'm really excited. I have a lot of things to say, and I'm going to keep it, try to keep it down. Usually when I preach, uh, Pastor Joe's out of town. And so there's just a little more ease. But if you just feel like I'm not looking at you guys, I apologize. Like, I just, you know, I know the cues, you know, like I've lived, you know, I lived with him for 18 years. I know the like, are you done yet? Have you moved on from that point? I'm going to. I'm going to wrap it up. You know, he's watching the clock. I'm watching the clock. That's fine. We're going to get, we're going to do good. But um, yeah, so I've gotten to preach here a couple times. Some of you ask me repeatedly about our dog, Poe. I'm married to my husband, TJ. We have three kids. We have two dogs. One of them likes to run away a lot. Somebody was telling me this morning, like, oh yeah, your dog, Poe, that runs away every once in a while. I was like, you mean twice a week? Like, I don't know what every once in a while is to you, but I meet new, ma- new neighbors like every other day because they found this dog. So I wanted to give you an update on how like he's been doing during quarantine. Can we see the first picture? This is Poe. Oh, you guys are so sweet. The first time I threw that picture up, everybody just looked at it. He's adorable. Thank you. Now, don't be fooled by that. This is after an hour and a half of driving around looking for him. He's just wore out. That's why he's looking cute. He's just tired. Now, this is what Poe looks like before quarantine. Can, can we show them what he looks like now? You guys, we got some clippers on Amazon. <laughs> and quarantine haircuts are so real. So, let, you know, he just, he had some mats. You can take that down. We don't need to stare at that. Um, just pray for our family. You can just pray for Poe. I'm just working to keep the clippers away from anybody else in my family at this point. But you know what? Sometimes everything is going crazy and you just have to find the thing to laugh about. And I wasn't laughing for a very long time when I found out that that had happened, not to put anybody in my house on the spot. But now we can all laugh at that and he will, you know, get to the groomer sometime in July when, when they were available. But anyway, we are, we're going to talk about being a person on fire. I love that song that MJ just sang, being, a, being, I picture a person who's just filled with the Holy Spirit. Everywhere they go, people can tell there is something different about them. There's someone who's filled with faith and purpose. They're confident. They're focused. They stand up for what's right, but they draw others into it. It's an attractive fire. So as we're in the Psalm song series, the Psalm I want to take you to is Psalm 27. 
Okay, so if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to that. If you don't, we're going to have it up on the screen. Um, and I just would like to pray really briefly before we read this scripture. God, I just, we just give this to you. We know that you have a message to say to us, that your word is living and active. Lord, like we sang earlier, would you just make our hearts hear you? We're saying, here we are. Speak your word. We know that it's true, God. Let every word that comes from me be yours and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 27, a person on fire. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted and my enemies above my enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call the Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away your servant in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. I love this. This is a person who is on fire. This is a person who has deep faith. And right now, we, we don't always feel like we're on fire in the right way. It might feel like everything's on fire in exactly the wrong way, and we're just we're just looking at everything and thinking, Lord, how do I deal with this? How do I be a person who is full of grace and love and truth and justice and mercy and balance all these things at the same time? Guess what? We can't because we are just people. We are broken humans. It is only with the power of God that we can hold the things that he has called us to hold in both hands and in love instead of being a fire that's burning people, but a fire that's drawing people in. So what I want to look at today is what are the hallmarks of a person who's on fire for God? If you're a person who's taking notes, like we're going to do a one, two, three, like these are the hallmarks of what it looks like. Because I think the most terrifying thing that we can be is what Jesus warned us about, what God warns us about in Revelation 3 to the church of Laodicea. I hope I said that right. But anyway, God, God gives a letter to these churches. And to this one church, he says, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. So I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I just want you to choose. You have gotten comfortable in your wealth. You've gotten comfortable depending on yourself. And so I'm, I'm about to be done. We don't want that. We want to be people who are on fire for God. So 
I want to look at a man who's on fire. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 14. Now, I am starting you like in the middle of a bigger picture that's going on. So let me just tell you what's going on. So in in a couple chapters earlier, you have the nation of Israel, and they're surrounded by all these kingdoms that have kings, but they don't have a king. They have prophets who tell them what God says, and then when something happens, they worship, and then God wins the battle. That's kind of been the way that things go. But then, just like my kids, they see what everybody else has, and they're coming to the adult in charge, who is Samuel, and saying, why can't we have what they have? This is a conversation I had yesterday. So-and-so has a phone, and -and so-and-so has a phone, and -and so-and-so has a phone, and why can't I have a phone? And I'm going to tell them exactly what my mother told me. I am not so-and-so's mama. So you can have a phone when we decide that you can have a phone. Now, God is nicer than me because he didn't say that. So he just says, all right, you guys want a king. You don't like this system. He, he tells them a king is not going to be a good deal for you, but they decide they have to have a king because everybody else has a king. So they need to have a king to feel good about themselves. And this is, this is kind of like where things start to take a bad turn. So Saul is their king. He has like one battle. It kind of goes okay. And so people are like, okay, yeah, for sure you're the king. And then he gathers up some of his men and he just kind of parks in his town and he's not really doing anything. So his son, Jonathan, without asking, decides to attack a Philistine outpost in their country, just on his own. Well, now the Philistines, who are this huge, big, bad neighboring country, they have all the weapons. They're like number one in iron technology. They've made sure that the Israelites have like farm equipment. Like when my son challenges his sisters to a battle and I look outside and he's dealing with like a Nerf gun and they just have to use the sticks that they picked up in the yard. It's really not good. So you have like no army against a humongous army. So they gather and they are coming against the Israelites. Everybody freaks out. It's so bad that in chapter 13, it says that when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Like they left the country because they were so afraid. So Jonathan has start, has gone up to a hornet's nest, kicked it. Now all the hornets are descending. The few couple thousand people that Saul had vanish. He's down to 600 people. And now they're, they're just sort of waiting to see what happens. Okay, so we're going to pick up in, in verse 1 of 14. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Well, that's probably smart because you're the one that got us in this mess. And now Saul's not doing anything about it. So he just seems bored and he's causing trouble. So wisely, he doesn't tell anybody he's going to go cause more trouble. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran, and with him were about 600 men. That's all he's got. Among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahatab, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Now, granted, Jonathan's probably an adult, but let's face it, Saul's not winning any parenting awards here. 
On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. My mom says fellows sometimes, and I just think it's so funny. Those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, the sword bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. So his plan is do what the Philistines say, and that's what God wants us to do. I love this plan so much. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistine, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up, where am I at? Climb up after me. There we go. Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed behind and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and the raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Then we jump down to verse 23. So the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Oh my gosh, he is the man. There's so much that we can learn from Jonathan. And but I love this. He, his dad is doing just the exact opposite of what he should do. But in him, he has decided to follow the Lord. He's decided that he's going to be a person that trusts the Lord. He's going to ask God before they do anything. He's checking with God. This is the person that we want to be like. So for our first thing that we want to point out, a person on fire chooses faith over fear. The beginning of that Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I think my favorite thing about this psalm is it's so poetic. It starts with faith. It starts with saying, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust you. I believe in you, God. And then it ends with faith. And it says, I am going to be confident. But in the middle, you have this, this recognition that things are not good, that he's begging for the presence of God, but he is beginning and he's ending with faith. He is sandwiching the circumstances around him and his feelings with truth. He's choosing to have faith, even though he has plenty of reason to have fear. And what is faith? Faith is active trust. That's what I think of when I think of faith. Over and over in the Bible, God invites us to trust him. If we will just take one wobbly step toward God, he wants to swoop us up and fill in all the gaps. It's like when you see someone helping a child take a first step. 
or learning to walk. And, you're, and you see these people, they're begging, they're bribing, they have chocolate, they have trucks, they have toys, they have noises, they have lights, anything to get this wobbly child just to take one step. And then as soon as they take that one step, they scoop them up and just run across the room to, to whatever it is because they're so excited that you took that one step that they want to fulfill everything else. That's what God's like. He, I just see him so delighted that Jonathan is willing to say, you know, God can save by few or he can save by many. Let's just see if he wants us to go do this. And then as soon as he just kills 20 guys, then God sends a panic that is so, so loud and so powerful that everybody hears about it. That thousands upon thousands of these troops are terrified and God wins the battle. I think God loves when we show just the smallest amount of faith. Even when we are so scared or things look so dark, if we will just show a little bit of faith and, and obey and just show him that we are going to trust him over our feelings, over our circumstances, he wants to come in and take care of everything for you. I'm convinced that the spirit of fear is just the chief problem, I mean, in the nation. I mean, probably longer, farther than that. And not to tell you what you have heard over and over again, but God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. But the fear of the enemy is wanting to paralyze us. The fear of the enemy wants to send you into a cave, into a pit, into a hole. He wants you to freeze up and not act in love, not act in boldness, not act in gentleness or kindness or self-control or any fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't want you to believe that you can win a battle over addiction, that you could win a battle over hate, that you could win a battle over fear, that you could win a battle over the shame of something you've done or what was done to you, but you were created for more. Satan knows that. So he sends fear to paralyze us and send us hiding into pits and caves where we just don't do anything and we just wrestle mentally with what's going on, but we don't act in what God's inviting us to. But he wants you not to know who you are. Ephesians 2.10 says you are God's workmanship, that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, not just to spend time with the Holy Spirit on the top of a mountain, but to do what my friend Steph says, the stepping to take the step that he has called you to take, even if it's scaring you to death. We know bad things will happen. Enemies will come against us, and they may look like people. But be real clear. Ephesians 6 says that we are not battling flesh and blood, but we are battling the spiritual forces of darkness. And so we have to be prepared and know that because of the lies that Satan's whispered in our hearts, our enemies may be circumstances that we didn't ask or put ourselves in, but we can stand up and say what Jonathan said, nothing can stop the Lord from saving. We can have the childlike faith that is combined with just a tiny step and change the course of history. We can make a difference where we are. Okay, the second hallmark of a person on fire, they choose presence over perfection. I think we can all think of at least one person in our life who looks like they just have it all together. Their house is always clean, their dog 
spouse, friends, child, whatever, are never out of control or acting crazy or looking sketchy. They, they seem like they're close to God, they're kind, they're doing all the healthy things that we should do, they're just not struggling in any way. And we may have looked at a few things or a few good Insta posts and we think that someone is perfect, but what does that really mean? That just means we haven't seen deep enough yet. That means that we have a lack of intimacy with them. And that's okay. Like, everybody doesn't need to know your dirty laundry, and you don't need to know everybody else's dirty laundry. But it's, I'm just saying, if we make that assumption, it's just saying we don't know the whole story. If back before COVID, you had come to my house for small group, which some of you have, you might have come in and it would have been clean and everything prepared and ready, but maybe that was a day that was like really crazy and I got home late. And if you had opened our bedroom door, you would have just found like mass chaos. Just, just, it was just one of those days where you're like, kid, just take it to my room. Just, just shove everything in my room, just put it on the bed. I don't care, get the playroom ready, get your bed made, what, just, just lock my door. Nobody needs to go in my room. Nobody needs to see my bedroom set. That's fine. Like, don't go in there. Sometimes people come over and you're like, kids, if you open that laundry room door, you are dead to me and you're going to bed two hours early. That is maybe a thing I've said. Okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, so, but if someone wants to come to my house and think like, oh, Jessie's just got it all together. Here she is just getting all this stuff done, going to all these activities and coming home and, and whipping up some dish for small group and then leading small group. And, you know, I could probably bought it at Meijer and then put it on a cute plate. You don't know. But that's just saying that there's a lack of intimacy. If we are choosing to, to look perfect, we are missing out on what God has. David in Psalm 27 is begging God to enter every room in his life and in his heart. He is never pretending that he has it all together. And David is saying, I just want to go to the house of the Lord. I just want to see him. In the day of trouble, he's going to keep me safe. He tells himself he knows what is true. And back then, it wasn't like now, where we have the Spirit of the Lord wherever we are. He had to go to the temple or to the tabernacle to be in the presence of God. And there is something special when we have the opportunity to be together. But we can open up our hearts to the presence of God wherever we are when we have surrendered our lives to him. David knows he's not perfect. He is admitting that. In verses 11 and 12, he says, my heart says, if you seek his face, so your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. So he knows God has reason. He's not perfect. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord, to lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. God cannot win battles for us if we are hiding in a cave. If we know that there is something scary in front of us, but he has invited us to take a step out in faith, in love, to reach out to someone to say, I'm sorry for what happened between us, or I'm sorry for what I did that hurt you. If God is inviting us to do that, and, and we are unwilling to do those things, and we're just going to stay here, God can't win a battle if we're not willing to, to come out of 
of those, those pits and those holes and those dark shadows. If we can't be real about who we are with God, I don't know who we can be real about. And there is no shame in the presence of God. Is there repentance? Yes. Is there conviction? Yes. But there is not shame. And shame wants to tell you that because you're dirty and gross, God can't use you. That because you, you can't tell people what you've been through, because they'll never look at you the same way, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God wants to bring you out and use you for his glory, for your good, and for the kingdom of God. Satan wants to scare you and cover your mouth and hide your face from the world because people might see that light. They might see that fire in you and be drawn to it and be attracted to it. The love and the grace that you show them, the humility that you show them when you step out in faith might draw people in. But if, if Satan can just convince you that you have to be perfect, which is again fear-based, he can tamp down the work that God wants to do, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. He has more for us than this. Don't let him do it. Don't fall for the lie. There's no getting clean enough. There's no getting good enough. We get to be people who are gospel people who say, this is how we say, Lord, I have sinned and fallen short, and thank you for making me clean. And thank you for being my Savior. And thank you for dying on a cross for me. Come as you are, and do not stay that way. All right, the last one. A person on fire chooses confidence over arrogance. Now, this is tricky because sometimes confidence and arrogance look like exactly the same thing, but here's the difference. Confidence comes from God, and arrogance comes from fear. Does that make sense? Peter tells the Hebrews, do not throw away your confidence. It's a gift from God. Confidence comes from deep peace and assurance that God is the one who will take care of us. Jonathan might look arrogant, but he is the picture of confidence because when he goes to attack the Philistines, he says, God can do this. Let's see which path God wants us to take. His confidence comes from God. Saul, throughout his lifetime, even admits later on that the things that he has done when he has looked bold have been, let's be honest, because his kid dragged him into it, or because he was afraid of the people. And because of that, God takes away his legacy, his kingship, and gives it to David, who will be a man after God's own heart. Arrogance looks to itself for confidence, and it's not real. Arrogance puffs up its chest and might act tough because it's so scared that people will see that it's a fraud. Arrogance doesn't wait to listen to God because it is paying more attention to what people are saying around it and too busy to make sure that they, those people like them, that it stays and does the wrong thing. But Jonathan climbs a wall, a cliff, with his hands and feet, while the guy behind him, what a hero, carries his shield and his sword because God said to come up and believes that God will take care of it. He keeps, like the song says, he keeps his head in the clouds, he keeps his focus on Jesus, and he does not back down when everything is burning down around him. And David says this at the end of Psalm 27. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not just when I die. I will see the goodness of the Lord because he is faithful here and now in my physical life on earth. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart 
and wait for the Lord. Maybe you're not feeling so confident about life today. Maybe you're, you're more like me. I'm, I'm not always the Jonathan who is just like, hey, you know what we should do? We should go kill some people and then see what happens because they're bad guys. That's not me. I'm like the father that came to Jesus with his son who was possessed by a demon. And Jesus says, where's, where's everybody's faith? And the father says, I have a little bit, but please help me with my unbelief. And Jesus looks at him and heals his son immediately because we serve a God of compassion and we serve a God of love who wants not to beat you over the head when you take that trembly little step because that step's not perfect and it's not good enough, but we serve a God who wants to invite you out of the dark and invite you out of the pit that we have been hiding in and invite us out of the shame of the things that we have been through. And he says, I can use that. I have big plans for you. You are my workmanship and you are good. No matter what anybody else said, no matter what happened, you are good. And I have good works for you to do. As we wrap up, we're gonna sing one more song. And if you're, you're online, we, I believe, have a live chat option where you can reach out to the offices. We would love to be praying for you. All of us have times where we are hiding in a pit. We are hiding in the dark. Everybody does. But the joy of, of being a church family is we get to pray for each other, and we get to hold each other's hands, and we get to encourage each other. So as we stand up, and prepare to sing this last song. Just know if you're here in the building that we have carefully placed some, some tables where you can go and have someone across the table just pray for you. Just join you in affirming what God is saying to you today. So let's just lift up this last song of worship.